Welcome back to the Key in the Lake podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. This is Jake coming live from my apartment in Lakeview, East Chicago, Illinois, with two special guests, one of them who doesn't need an introduction, but I'll give it to him anyway, the Crystal King of Chicago, Marty Duffy. Thank you. Thank Welcome you back much. to the podcast. Thank you. And also, founder and operator of Journeyman Distillery, <laughs> Bill Welter. <laughs> Marty's already playing uh, music. That's Crystal. Thanks for having me, Jake. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, this is Marty's 18th time on the podcast, Bill's first time. So we'll let we'll let Bill talk a little bit more, maybe yeah, the Marty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whoa! Unless there's something you really want to talk about, some pressing issues. I will chime in. Okay. I will add um, the stuffing to uh, Bill's <laughs> turkey. There you go. I, I like get that. a minute in, I'll be surprised. Oh. Well, as we talked about on Marty's show, um, A Sip of Knowledge, the year-end review with Wilson and myself, uh, Marty holds the record for the longest podcast on Key in the Lake, about two hours and 45 minutes. A lot to say. Lot Five to hours say. of footage, though. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, that was cut the, it back to 240. Right. We cut it back to there, and then we didn't even record the first two hours of conversation, which just happens a lot. I feel like even on, before talking, we turn these on. The best conversations kind of come up, come up, well, before you turn the microphones on. Happened the other day with about eight guys in my basement, all wearing masks, socially distanced, of course. Of course, yes. <laughs> like we are. These hazmat suits are really comfortable. Hey, you know what? They're uh, homemade. Kind of linen. Interesting. Marty, how has it been uh, running that show ever since the quarantine started, a sip of knowledge? Well, you know, the beauty of it uh, is uh, Will, our producer, uh, does most of the grunt work. Mm. Um and finding guests, quite easy. I mean, both of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Figure you're pretty desperate for guests yeah, when I got were. called. I was his backup guest three times. Yeah. <laughs> Text me two different times. Hey, uh, our guest hasn't showed up yet. Can you and Wilson <laughs> pop on? No joke. <laughs> okay. Half hour beforehand. Yeah, stand down. Thanks, yeah. The more important person's already come in. I remember I was walking into Benny's over on Grand Ave, and you texted me at one time or emailed me, and I'm like, um, sure, I'll do it live from Benny's. That was my first thought in my head. I'm like, that'd be great, you know? Good publicity for the, for the good old folks at Benny's. They need it, you know? That would have been cool. A couple Benny's plugs there. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, how many episodes did you guys do? Wow, you know, that's a good question. 20? I mean, we've been doing it every week without fail since maybe late April, early May. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, and they're all available on YouTube or at Zabby.com. I still haven't got the link yet for my episode. For yours? No, just waiting on it. What do you mean? Well, you just go on Zabby.com, yeah. Oh, okay. It's right there. I don't know. I mean, they my bosses might wonder if I'm actually doing work, you know, like are you just making up shows you go on, go on podcasts. I think you just put in uh, a sip of knowledge. Okay. Uh, your name. Advanced stuff right here. And that's it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How to operate a computer. <laughs> Good. Uh, as they, you know, as we say around the studio, yeah. even even Bill Welter could figure it out. There oh, we go. Wow. That's what tough crowd here. <laughs> tough crowd. I was I looked forward to Bill's episode, and I thought you talked too much. <gasps> oh my goodness! Did I? No, I'm just joking. But I was wondering how you oh, and a quiet how did man. how you, Lou, and Liz came up with the show, or how you chose I was each other approached. to work with. Okay, I was approached by the Soviets, mm. of course, or the sense. Russians. The Russians. <laughs> That's right. Soviets Misinformation. Um, and uh, no, by Zavi, by a, a fellow who kind of runs Zavi is Federico Hernandez. Anyone who's been to the Chicago Midwest Rum Festival mm-hmm. would know Federico. Great name. Uh, it is. It's a very, very Latin. <laughs> Federico Hernandez. 
Um, you roll your R so nicely. Thank you. Uh, actually, listen, I really can't. Um, anyways, he uh, he started this channel, and there's a whole uh, bunch of different uh, shows. A lot of them uh, on rum, but he wanted someone to talk about whiskey, so he contacted me. And I thought, well, I don't want to do it by myself. Uh, I want other perspectives. So I thought I'll call up Lou. And I thought, well, shouldn't we have one more person? Mm-hmm. And he recommended Liz. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. I just seen Liz in uh, Kentucky at the at a bourbon festival in March before all this stuff happened. And so, um, and we thought it was perfect. I mean, Liz is a distilling yeah. scientist, so you got that aspect. Lou writes about it, and I've travel the country visiting distilleries so uh plus worked overseas and lou has the best laugh in whiskey lou bryson yeah lou bryson best laugh yeah he scares bats out of trees with that laugh is that so yes (laughs) have you ever saw a bridge over the river Kwai when the bats all try to does lou have a nickname uh lou is his nickname yeah it's lewis oh (laughs) lewis lewis bryson great Good information there. He said, well, yeah, as far as I know. Well, I mean, why? Do you think there's I was just curious. No. Why would he have another? (laughs) Seems like a character. A lot of characters have some nicknames. Yeah, but, you know, I don't know. I think when you have a name like Lou, Mm -hmm. I mean, Lou is uh, one of those names. It's like Mac, Mm. you know? Yeah, or Or Buddy. Buddy. If your name is Buddy, you don't need a nickname. Right. So Lou. You have many nicknames. I do. Yeah. Behind your back, we have them. Yes, <laughs> sure I do. <laughs> but yeah, as you talk to, I mean, craft distillers like yourself, Phil, on the show, what was the common theme you found with all these distilleries going through the last eight, nine months? Well, you know what I thought, and I really, really, it gives you a lot of hope, is that everybody was finding a way around stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't a total solution, wasn't really making up for everything that these guys are losing. Right. Um, you know, the lost revenue, the, the you know, in, in St. Bill's case, uh, he's had to lay a lot of people off. Right. That's just horrible, especially in a small town uh, uh, like Three Oaks. That's just, that's, that's, oh, you just want to go and strangle a certain governor um, or any governor. Well, yeah, because right. I mean, we were in Three Oaks almost two months ago, probably. Mm-hmm. And we came by the distillery, had lunch. Um, Said hi to Matt, dropped up a bottle of whiskey, walked through town, and it was just so different than yeah. the last other few times I've been there. And it was still warm enough out to be walking around, but you feel the impact not just on the distillery, mm-hmm. but the whole local community that way. Well, that's just it. I mean, your your distillery is a a huge um, attraction, right? Yeah. tourist attraction, and for for all those local artists and all the little shops and little bars and restaurants. I mean, yeah, the town's really evolved a lot over the last decade, and. I mean, for us, um, you know, the the pandemic this year is it's kind of been a throwback to 2009 when we first, you know, kind of came across Three Oaks, and it was really kind of a sleepy little town, uh, and 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 obviously the uh, behind Journeyman and and the development and growth has really you know caused the town to to be much more vibrant and active and. And, and this past summer, like I said, was kind of a throwback to, to, to pre-journeyman. So it was, it was a tough, tough summer for a lot of people. How did you choose Three Oaks? Uh, well, uh, initially, actually, we were looking to open journeyman in, in northern Indiana. I'm, I'm from Valparaiso. Uh, 
and uh, in in 2009-2010, craft distilling was not allowed in in Indiana. The laws hadn't changed at that point. So Michigan, fortunately, we were right right there, and, and we were able to jump across the state line and uh we we came across three oaks and uh i remember the first time kind of driving down the main street there and my eyes got big and i just thought this is the coolest little town <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and i mean this would be a great place for a distillery and 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 i guess the rest is is history did you and you started distilling in chicago right yeah so we made our very first batch of whiskey at koval uh in the ravenswood neighborhood and uh basically uh, i think i just you know, bugged the hell out of Robert and, and Mark and, and just said, Hey, we're going to open this distillery in Michigan, hopefully in, in 2011. Uh, it'd be awesome to make uh, a batch of rye and, and have it available on day one when we opened up. And, um, as, as I tell people, um, it was an internship basically, but a paid one. (laughs) One in which I paid them. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Just one of the worst internships yeah. for you young people out there. Yeah. Oh, no, that's, that's how it was in the old days, Marty. <laughs> I think it still works that way. I yeah. used to have to pay people to work for yeah. them. It's called apprenticeship. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I learned a hell of a lot from those guys. Spent spent that kind of summer of 2010 um, kind of hanging around. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and, and we made that batch of rye and... Uh, it was made in the Ravenswood neighborhood, so we initially called our first batch of, of rye whiskey Ravenswood rye. We ran into a trademark <laughs> issue uh, a couple of years down the road after receiving a gold medal at the San Francisco <laughs> World Spirits competition for that rye. And, and I would say not more than two weeks later, we received a cease and desist letter from Constellation Brands uh, <laughs> over the name Ravenswood. That's amazing. I mean, who's going to confuse... Right your whiskey with their wine that's so nuts there's there's no rhyme or reason to it marty but what i found out is that constellation had a a trademark dating back to 1972 on the word ravenswood so it predated my birth uh so (laughs) so apparently they had standing there and 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 as it went that was just another what i like to call learning lesson are they gonna sue the city because of uh, yeah. the street. Yeah, the name. Yeah. Hello. Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. There's yeah. two we'll Chamber of Commerce. Anybody who drives down that street has to pay them a little, yeah. little fee. Cobalt's facilities on Ravenswood. Boom. Uh-oh. They have to pay. Issues. Boom. Oh, man. Both facilities. Maybe it's all one now. I'm not sure. It's, it's a tunnel underneath. It's about a mile apart. Yeah, it's a big tunnel. I walked and yeah. rode my bike every day back and forth. Wow, did you You're really? Familiar. Yeah. Old school. I had to take our inventory up from the distillery to the store, and then I ran that building for, I don't know, a few days a week. I've never seen the second building. Really? All these years. It's on the other side of the tracks, isn't it? No, same side of the tracks. Oh, is it? It's a mile directly up the street, so just south of Foster. But pretty cool place. I think they got rid of it, though, finally. Right. Yeah, I think it's... Oh, or did they have to? Because in the city, the city started cracking down... I don't know. You're having Sonnet on your show in a couple yeah, of weeks. I'll so ask her, yeah. I thought they were, they know they tried to get rid of the space before I was leaving, but, and then the brewery next door wanted to take it over urban mm-hmm. brew labs. So I think they finally did. I feel like I saw Instagram posts of the brewery now in that space. There was an interesting thing that happened once all these distilleries started popping up in the city. Yeah. Is that, you know, the city was given, yeah, go ahead. You can start a distillery. Right. Go ahead. Then they realized, Oh, wait a minute. There's, <laughs> giant barrels of 
flammable liquid <laughs> yeah. being stored in these places. And so, you know, you look at uh, like uh, Jay and Noel at Chicago Distilling, their place is on a very congested little street. Right. No, not a little street, big street, uh, Milwaukee Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, the, the city, you know, had a big brain fart. They didn't think ahead. And then they realized this, but at the same time, they realized, oh, shit, we, well, what can we do? Mm-hmm. You know, if we tell you to go build a, uh, uh, a rick house out in the suburbs somewhere, you'll probably also move your distillery. Right, right. So you're basically just asking businesses to leave. So I think they they did something, but yeah, I don't there was know new what. laws to be implemented. They had to basically fireproof all the the whole facility at Cobalt wow. when I was there, and we had to move everything out of the cellar of the building. So if there was if there was a fire, it wouldn't explode from the bottom mm-hmm. and go out <laughs> to the rest of the neighborhood. It seems so weird a city that's known for having burned down at one point in right. its history that they didn't kind of put this all into. Yeah, you just kind of put it into motion. Thought. But, you know. Because you can't have a fire, a, a wood burning fireplace in some parts of the city. I have one hmm. over there. You are. Do you want to start it? I've got some wood behind is, you as well. It is kind of chilly in here. But no. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, we will wait till we're I turn up the in, heat up? Uh, we're up in the, the woods of Wisconsin. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I remember the fire marshal when they came by to do their test and everything um, inspection. There was always about eight to ten firemen always came by Cobol, just uh, hopefully to get a little sip. (laughs) Didn't take just one; took a whole team. Um, But yeah, it was always interesting to see that. But how has it changed? You know, being a craft distiller this year. Obviously, we had actually had Matt and Tom on back in March or April talking about everything. How you adjusted the hand sanitizer and like some of the other local distilleries did, but. It's not just distilling when you have a huge industry, essentially what you have with event spaces, restaurant, bar, yeah. whole staff to support. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I guess in some ways it's about um, adjusting expectations for the year. Mm. And, and you know, I don't want to sound too, too corny or cheesy or whatever, but also, you know, perhaps being grateful for what we have had and, and, and kind of, you know, looking at it and going, well, you know, fortunately we've had success and... And those opportunities we all hope will be in front of us again in 2021 or, or you know, God forbid, 2022. <laughs> but, uh, well, you've gotten this new distribution deal. Yeah, okay. so we did That's have some positive windfall. news in 2021. And, and obviously the hand sanitizer played a big role in kind of um, helping us bridge the gap to reopening in the summer. Uh, but we had been working on um, with... Um, uh, Sazerac, they're uh, a division of Sazerac called 375 Park Avenue Spirits, uh, and um, and and signed a distribution agreement with those guys in July uh, to to take us to. Um, we've been in 19 states for for a while now, but we're an expand to 41 in in 2021. Uh, so that's you know I think you know we couldn't be happier about that. We're super excited and and um, you know. Joanna and and my goal is to kind of create a multi-generational family owned and operated distillery and I think this uh relationship with 375 Park Avenue Spirits will help us kind of take some of those next steps at the same time um and I think it's important to note because it's important to us is that we've uh maintained full ownership of the distillery 
uh, we've not quote unquote, you know, sold out. And, um, so, you know, I don't know. think you can sell anymore. I think the whole punk rock of rules of like, yeah. are like gone especially at this point. Everybody's selling out. In some yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if anyone really cares about that Then perhaps maybe just my wife and I, but right, it's, right, right. it's important to us. So, um, I always like to hear, I mean, cause there, there, there has been for the last, you know, over these, these last 10 years, this big, huge growth of yeah. distilleries. You have, um, oh, I mean, by some estimates, over 2,000 right. distilleries, right? That's, um, is that just craft, or is that overall? I'm sure it's overall, but when you think of the big guys, the big guys probably make up such a small fraction. Right now, yeah. Um, but, you know, you do hear, I mean, I remember being down at Tales of the Cocktail a couple of years back, and there's a fella, a really nice guy, uh, who started an absinthe, hmm. and he he was importing it, and he had just shown he was showing us this nice new bottle. And I said, "Oh, so is this on the market yet?" And he goes, "No." Hey, you used to work for Diageo, right? I go, "Yeah." Do you know any Diageo people here? Do you think I could talk to him about selling it to him? <laughs> I go, "You, you want to sell him your brand that hasn't even been released yet?" Wow. I go, "I mean, I guess if, you, but." Uh, you know, and at the time I thought it was crazy. What's that a Diageo want to do with a small absinthe that hasn't even hit the mark yet? And then yeah. George Clooney sells them a yeah. What was that fifty-two thousand case tequila yeah, right? for a million oh, bucks? Okay, maybe. Well, Jamie said she was approached by a guy to do an RTD, like basically help do the sales for it. He's like, I just want to make yeah. money for it, and he was Turn doing. I don't. I remember what spirit he actually ended up producing. But it was just clear spirits, and then he had the idea for RTD, and like I just want to make money and sell it off. Yeah, which is it's a lot of investment to try to just uh, sell it off after producing all the spirits that way. And so, there is this whole thing where you, you do see these brands, there are these distillers who do sell piece, mm-hmm. and you often wonder, okay, I can understand that if you're mm-hmm. a small brand, you want that infusion of cash. Right. Yeah, but at the same time. You do now that yeah. they've just taken a bite out of you, and yeah. later they're gonna swallow, and you're happy with that. Yeah, you know, I just, I don't know. It's kind of nice when someone wants to make a distillery, and they do want to make it generational. They want it to, you know, you know, do something like the grants. Yeah, yeah, what, that's right. First thing comes to mind. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. Glenn Fark was Glenn Bacardi's Bacardi family still runs Bacardi, as far as I know. I know yeah. topic of conversation I've had a lot with people over the last nine months or so too is, will craft distilleries only survive if they basically join collectives together to kind of create um, a larger distillery based on three, four, or five of them? That maybe two or three of them really can't make it. One's still kind of doing well. And if that's even a possibility for distiller, distilleries to do and unite that way, but then again, you lose your identity mm-hmm. as a owner and operator of a distillery if you're doing it in that sense, but. I think right before the relief bill came out, um, based on the taxes going up from you know what two two dollars and seventy cents to right. thirteen dollars, yeah, per gallon. Uh, some distillers were quoted as saying like three out of I think two out of three distilleries would probably collapse after six months if that would actually pass. Unfortunately, it isn't. And then also yeah. with you guys making hand sanitizers and other like eight hundred other distilleries across the country too, supporting the local communities doing that and. FDA comes out and says, hey, we have to fine you for user fees, <laughs> yeah. potentially for $14,000. I 
I probably never received more emails and text messages when people read about that $14,000 fine. Uh, well, I called it a fine, I guess. It, right. You know, I, yeah. I, I was trying to fees. Know, understand to myself how it is that you can ask people to close your business. Right. And then they say, well, can you please reopen because we have a huge shortage of hand sanitizer. Can you make this for the good of, right. of, of the country? Uh, of which, you know, many, if not all of us, gave away uh, a fair amount of the hand sanitizer. And then they circle back around at the end of the year and and, and impose a, a fee retroactively. I mean, I've just never even heard of that. Uh, on, well, I on literally I, the last day of the year, too. Yeah, I, I can't even be legal. But as, as we know now, they've they've retracted that. I think people are very vocal about that right away yes. on the Internet. But and, these are uh, the same politicians, though, who... These are the same people who uh, are also talking about raising your taxes right. because, oh, yeah. because of this whole COVID thing. Yeah. We, we're so in debt. And so, yeah, we got to yeah. raise our, your taxes. You mean like you raising know, property taxes on 30% you, of your you, yeah, city you can't even afford to pay rent? You guys who who made me close my business, you want yeah. me now to pay, pay you more that. money. Yeah. And yet you guys all during this time have all been getting paid. Yeah. Why don't we just raise your taxes? Yeah. You guys actually have paychecks <laughs> and money coming in. Oh. oh. It's, a fr- it's a frustrating moment of life. It sure is, man. Someday. Yeah. A legion will come up. How do you we'll... keep like your whole team or just everybody within the distillery um, positive? Well, like, right we're... now we're in the middle of a second shutdown in Michigan. Right. So um, we're part of, I believe, four or five states in the U.S. right now that have completely shut down all indoor dining. Okay. Um, I think New York is now back on that list. Um, I believe Illinois is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, California. California had no Michigan. outdoor dining either. Yeah, no outdoor dining. Well, LA, LA, yeah. I should say. I'm yeah. not sure about the other yeah. counties, but. Well, that's a nutty one. Did you see the the, uh, the woman who's had to close down her outdoor yeah, uh, cafe? Yeah. And then right across was a movie Filming. set yeah. where they're doing an outdoor cafe. And she goes, like, wait, you, I don't get it. Yeah. You could have hired her to do yeah. like yeah. even just desserts or something like that. How nice would that have been? Instead of shutting yeah. her down so craft services with unions and all that can go into play and take all of her business. I, I think the challenging thing for us being um, in Three Oaks, which is two miles from, from the Indiana state line, is that Indiana's pretty much remained open through right. this entire thing. So, I mean, you know, we've we've got people are just kind of going back and forth across the state line and you know, unless you just shut the whole country down, I don't know how just isolating Michigan is going to work because we're seeing people go back and forth every single day. Well, that's what we saw uh, here initially with all this yeah. stuff. Everybody's leaving Chicago on the weekends to go to other states and play golf yeah. and go right. hiking <laughs> right. and right. go to bars and restaurants. Well, and to your point, you know, that's what we saw as well is basically a huge segment of Illinois, a huge part of, of Michigan was all filtering into Indiana mm. and you know, I'm not sure how crowding one area is, has been successful in, in, in you know, kind of um, assisting with the virus. Right. Has maintaining a business been harder than starting a business this year compared to like 10 years ago when you first started? Well, it's kind of like we started the business twice. Mm. Um, so in the spring, obviously in March, you know, and, and I think rightfully so, people didn't understand what was happening. There was kind of an unknown virus, and, and, and I think probably the right move was to, to, to shut things down for a period. But I think as we've kind of evolved here and, and realized that, um, you know, that this virus is, 
is very much um, targeted towards a certain age group, towards towards a certain um, you know health segment. Uh, people are unhealthy and over the age of seventy. Obviously, you know those people need to be very concerned. But I think as things have developed here, you know it's it's pretty clear that kids are are, are uh, th- thankfully, you know, I mean, if this was uh, impacting kids, we'd, you know, all agree. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so Michigan shut down in the spring. Uh, we were able to um, re- reopen uh, just before 4th of July. Actually, we had a, a busy summer. And then now we're back in another shutdown that's um, occurred kind of mid, mid-November and, and it's continuing on. We don't know when, when that will end. And, you know, the first go around, uh, there was considerable amount of, um, of assistance for our staff, people who were laid off. Uh, this time around in Michigan, at least, um, that support isn't there. So this is, you know, and, and, and the holidays are a key time for a lot of our staff members who work in the hospitality industry. Yeah. We really okay. rely and, and budget um, to have that that. And, and, you know, t- people are considerably more generous during the holidays when um, and, and so that's a huge loss. Um, yeah, it's just a struggle. And, and, you know, when we reopened in just before the 4th of July, we had to reopen the restaurant. And I can tell you and, and anybody listening that's in the restaurant business knows how hard it is to get a restaurant open. But when we had to do it again in June and now presumably we'll do it for a third time here uh, sometime in 2021. It's just, have you been no told fun. any dates like potentially when reopening? No, I mean, our, our governor, governor Whitmer is it's, it's, it's always been a last minute thing. So, you know, we lost about $3,000 in food inventory on the last <sighs> shutdown because you get, you That's know, they give understand. you a day, yeah. a day or two notice. And then this time, and you know, we need at least probably a week to 10 days to get it back up and running, but you know, we won't know until the day before. Virtually. See, a good thing would have been for, Again, the governments, uh, whether they're state or federal, to have gone to people like you. If you had a restaurant, you have food Mm -hmm. that now you can't use it. Yeah. All right, let's buy it off you. Mm -hmm. And then give the shelters. Yeah. Well, we we looked into giving that food away, actually, because we knew it was going to go bad. And um, they they wouldn't allow it. Yeah, it's illegal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know. But, you know, even before that, I used to go to Columbia College. <clears throat> downtown mm-hmm. when I was younger and just to hang out yeah and hang out so let's see what the cool kids were doing um but there was a cafe there and a buddy of mine worked there and they'd throw out the muffins mm-hmm. and all the pastries and stuff and, just the tops though and I go why, why don't you guys donate that I mean Pacific Garden Missions used to be right across the street and they said uh they won't let us it's you know illegal and I go really so muffins that you could sell to me, you can't give mm-hmm. to homeless people who are eating out of trash cans. I think how more strict FDA laws are going to get now after this, too. Oh, Jesus Christ. More bureaucracy kind of going into all that. Yeah, that's what we need is more bureaucracy. Is it? No. <laughs> God damn it. I'm moving to Alaska. Alaska? <laughs> they have one distillery there. Only one. I don't know. They have more than one. Yeah, they have more than one. They have a guild. Oh, you know what I was going to say? You know, going back to your mm-hmm. your little uh, your idea of distilleries getting together. Oh, yeah, as a collective? As a collective. Um, it was Wilson's idea, so if you don't like it, blame him. <laughs> Wilson. Um, uh, one of the problems I've seen over the last decade mm-hmm. with distilleries are, even within these distillery guilds, 
is trying to get everybody on board yeah. and in line. You know, uh, here in Illinois, you've had uh, it's like wrangling cats, <laughs> according to some of the guys who've uh, guys and gals yeah. who've been in charge. Um, you know, so many times you think everyone's everyone's saying, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, you go ahead, do that. Mm-hmm. Go down to Springfield and lobby for this." <laughs> then you find out, oh, they did a end around and mm-hmm. they're lobbying independently for something completely different. And yeah, it's. If you can't get people to realize that united you stand, divided you fall mm-hmm. right. in a guild, mm-hmm. imagine trying to do a collective where it's business, where it's really business, where mm-hmm. you're trying to maybe share profits. Or yeah, yeah, like it's concede ownership, I guess, at some point, and, and also, some level. Also, the, the the other problem too is in almost every state, you do have a hierarchy of those who have achieved, mm. who've gotten mm-hmm. further. To better marketing, uh, who you know just are doing better, right. or who knows, even maybe producing better spirits. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. have the, the little guys who are struggling, who don't quite grasp the whole marketing aspect yeah. of. They think, oh, if I distill it, people will buy it. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no one knows you exist in this little, mm-hmm. uh, this little uh, shire. Or wherever you're hiding. How's, yeah. how's the guild in Michigan been through all this? How's that all operated? Yeah, um, the guild's really been working focused on uh, tax reduction in Michigan. So of the fifty states, we're actually close to the highest mm. uh, in terms of how they tax craft distilling. Uh, so in some ways, we're kind of looking for our own tax relief on a state level in Michigan. Uh, which which we've received on a federal level. Yeah. Uh, so that the guild's really been focused on that. But um, you know, like some states, we can do cocktails to go now. Yep. Uh, that was something we couldn't do before COVID. And then additionally, um, the state is um, allowing for some self distribution. Uh, but I mean, at this point in time, I think that could be really beneficial to like the the very small distilleries. Right. We're, we're probably contemplating whether. That that makes sense for us at this point in time, but I, I think it is a benefit for the for the industry in Michigan. It says, especially if you're just doing local distribution, right. pretty much. But for you guys, if you're in 19 states with expanding into 41, yeah. yeah, how much can you really get done on your own? Yeah, I mean the logistics of it all are just kind of you get it by trucks, fans, yeah, yeah. 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 Put Matt on his, on his bicycle, and yeah, we'll have Matt ride some around. <laughs> also, Bill, you know you you had um, I thought you had kind of a yeah, you. Your situation kind of highlighted something that I didn't really think of before. I think you had said, I think you had told me earlier on this year that uh, uh, you guys were hurting a little bit more than others because you guys have concentrated so much on the on-premise. Yeah. Then once the on-premise went, you know, was closed down, uh, now the, the real option is off premise, but now you can't really sell into the off premise. I mean, you can, yeah, but they really don't want to see you, right? It wasn't, <clears> especially <throat> early on, they didn't want in the off, they don't want to see you, yeah, no, not without appointments for sure. And then, two, when you're dealing with the off premise, uh, I always thought it, it, you know, when you're selling small, you know, hand sell yeah. products, mm-hmm. um. You really need to go in, talk to the right people, and those guys who work the whiskey aisle. Mm-hmm. But people aren't hovering around the whiskey yeah. aisle. People are going in real fast, and they're buying the big guys' stuff. You know, have you heard? 
the big sellers were like 1.75s of vodka, um, gin, commodities, rum, tequila. Mm -hmm. You know, the big ones that they can grab off the floor displays. And most of the little guys don't have floor displays. Yeah. They don't have that kind of power, you know, the Diageo or Pernod or. And, and even at one point, yeah. a lot of the liquor stores were requiring, um, you know, it's basically just pull up and they'll bring it to your car. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and to your point, Marty, you know, the craft brands really require people to walk through the aisle, see the product, and then, you know, consider, do I want to trial this? Right. And you, and you can't trial anything when you're basically only able to call commodity brands, you know, mm-hmm. what do you know off the top of your head? Yeah. yeah. Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, uh, some vodka company in texas right yeah. stuff like that some some the, small guy the yeah. late Gar- um cal uh, garcia mm-hmm. from uh Binny's over here on uh at the ivanhoe store uh he was great at that yeah i used to love going in that store you see ross behind the behind the uh, customer service uh but then you go see uh cal and cal say hey marty you know what hey you gotta try this or have you tried this already this is really unique this is different we just got this in and or the guy just came in, sampled me out. He was great. Yep. And that's exactly what you needed. Yeah. You know, and that's really tough without someone like that, right. and without that experience. And even if you're running a sale or a program in one of those stores without the right shelf space, if you're down at the bottom, people aren't going to see it. Like you said, they're not hanging out in the aisles. So even if yeah. you're running like a $5 off your yeah. bottle, you got to have prime real estate till that point. And yeah. without doing tastings and having somebody in that aisle to literally hand it to you and get that liquid to lips interaction, yeah. it's tough for uh, small brands to kind of keep yeah. going on. The Lincoln Park store always had those oh. great weekend sales yeah. where people on a Saturday, people come in from other states yep. just to walk the aisles and sample mm-hmm. all the different spirits. And I have noticed people are lingering in the aisles a little bit longer than they were back in April and March and May too, even for that extent. But and people are asking more questions. I'll just go over to Benny's and, you know, see somebody in the single malt section and say, hey, can I help you with anything? Do <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you, you pull a uh, Benny's I just, schmack I just, out I just, No, I just pull out the Star Wars bottles. Like, this is the finest Australian whiskey you can have. I heard it's really good. Yeah. It's, I'll, I'll go check in the back, see if we have any I more. Do it, I do it for all of our friends, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Like, I, I was talking to these guys one time and like, yeah, we're just kind of getting into scotch and... Uh, single malts and our friend really likes scotch and I think he likes Highland Park. I'm like, oh, all right, well, let me tell you about Abelauer. <laughs> and they're like, oh, so I'm like, this one whiskey of the year, blah, blah, blah. And, or go over to the rye section and sell them Union Horse for Wilson or, you know, other guys. I'm like, you know, I might want to avoid this brand and kind of go with this one. It's the hot new thing. <laughs> well, that's why these whiskey, these online whiskey shows, these groups, uh, yeah. Bill and I are going to be on uh, one Monday night for the Scotchy Bourbon Boys oh, yeah, of cool. Canton. Um, and those are great. And those guys, it's funny. They, you know, I, um, I know Jeffrey Mueller who, uh, who runs that, or I know him actually online. I've never actually met okay. the man in person. I was wondering if either one of them came to the, uh, spirits competition that we judged. Cause there are some guys from Ohio there. Oh yeah, you're right. But I don't, they're not I affiliated with that. No. Okay. I think they're from another group. Um, but uh, when I mentioned, hey, you know, I'm going to be coming back from a little road trip with uh, Bill Welter. You want him on? Are you kidding? <laughs> sure. I said Bill Welter. I yeah. say, Bill Weller. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? You just got named Best Sweet Whiskey by yeah, Fred Minnick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was very exciting. I don't think a lot of these guys, I mean, some have. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the 
enthusiasts here yeah. in Illinois. Yeah, they, Gil uh, runs a great program there. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really tapped into that and reached out to a lot of folks. But I don't think that a lot of them realize that they can get uh, a distiller. You know, the guy who started a a well-known brand, get them in, and that really is. We talked about this last week. It it's going to be a tool going forward, no matter how things work yeah. out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, because you the reach is amazing, and and this is a group of people who love whiskey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what better audience can you talk to? It's not like you're, yeah. especially if you can get them samples while yeah. you're talking to them. Yeah. So they can have two, three whiskeys of your product, and then say, hey, I really like this one. Like, cool. It's at this store. Where do you live? Like, how far away are you from there? Yeah. This yeah. one huge benefit of of COVID has been these podcasts, like yeah. this one and many others, and. Um, as you as you mentioned, Marty, for a small uh, you know startup or or even existing distillery, I mean these are amazing opportunities for us to to get the word out. We don't have those marketing budgets that, mm-hmm. that many other uh, larger companies have, so this is kind of like grassroots. Yeah. It's fun. It is a silver lining to think that how we were not taking advantage of this whole operation online and every every possibility that you can find virtually. To do until ten months ago, we were yeah. we kind of almost avoided it as brands. Well, we yeah. just we just didn't know how that personal interaction. Like, hey, how are they going to really feel over the internet? What if their connection's bad? Now we're forced to do it, and now you're stupid if you forfeit it after but, things go back to normal. Right. Well, the thing is, though, there is that extra difficulty of getting the juice to them. There is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's so much easier if a, a store invites you and they have a ready group of people. But, but I if, think you also never thought there'd be. 30 to 50 people on a Zoom call just to listen to you talk about something. I get that with Glen Karen. People yeah. ask me to come on and talk about Glen Karen. I go, oh, okay. I'll come on and talk about a whiskey glass. It yeah. holds whiskey well. Luckily, I do have a little knowledge, some background knowledge on whiskey like <laughs> just talk about, but yeah, it's filler. And one French spirit, too. Huh? And one French spirit as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, Benedictine yeah, people yeah, are yeah, constantly yeah. asking me about my days as the Benedictine <laughs> national brand ambassador. I mean, I was, on a, I was on an internet show the other day, and this group from North Carolina, we don't have distribution, and like, hey, we have 50 guys that want to do a tasting with you. If you want to send us samples, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Send you, it's, why, send you, why send them samples? Why they can, can't they go out? Is, is we don't have distribution in North Carolina, but okay. you can buy online. Um, and they're like, we we collect things. The guy who f- found the group, he's a fan of Star Wars, so that helps out too. Mm. But he was telling people about it, and he somehow got one of our barrel picks from. I thought you said he's a fan of Star Wars. He probably is too. <laughs> he's a fan of Star Wars, so he's wearing a Darth yeah, Vader mask. No, sorry. <laughs> Star Ward, um, the distillery I work for. <laughs> yes, of course. The, the podcast doesn't pay for the house. Where is Star Wards? <laughs> uh, it's uh, based out of Melbourne. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, um, you learned at Lark, right? Um, I spent time there. Uh, my good buddy started a distillery in Tasmania. Okay. And so I had a chance to, to go down there um, and spend two months uh, working at his distillery. But I also spent quite a bit of time at Lark. Nice. And Bill, um, they, they call Bill the, in, in Australia the grandfather oh, yeah. of craft distilling. And, How um, old is he? he? He's probably, I don't want to say because I don't want to offend him, but I'd say he's 65. Yeah, I was gonna say, oh, yeah okay. he's not I that old. Was, I, I, I thought he was right your age. Yeah, no, uh, Bill, no, he has, <laughs> a, you had um, him. he has a beard similar to mine, but he, um, <laughs> I, I actually just saw him. I was there oh. on the, I guess, um, in, at the beginning of COVID, I, I had a trip planned to Tasmania for Greg, Greg's wedding. Greg, uh, my buddy down there 
with the distillery and he um and i decided i'm just going like you know i returned back to lax and it was empty like literally the airport was empty uh but well while i was down there i had a chance to to catch up with bill and um the nicest guy you'll ever meet he's kind of like on marty duffy status in mm. terms of, of great guys mm. um, yeah so i mean uh love their whiskey as well and and you know just the whole new approach to distilling and, and those guys have, have been doing it and doing it well for quite a, quite a long time right right no uh, the founder of star Wars, he also learned from bill oh cool yeah oh, yeah awesome. so matt and i were talking about how we can put together some kind of star Wars journeyman event in the future that would be cool yeah that would be cool uh, and i'd love to you know, I mean, Australia is like more shut down than anywhere. It uh, just kind of reopened back up. To, yeah. To get back someday. Yeah. Same here. That, that seems so funny. I mean, Australia. When I think of Australia, I don't think of the, the cities. Mm-hmm. I think of the vast outback. Yeah, the outback. And, yeah. Which is like 90% yeah. of the yeah, country. But right. That's it seems The whole population's so in three cities, essentially. Weird that it'd be shut down. Yeah, you're going to need to visit the distillery there. So. I went there in... April of or May of 2019, and we were okay. supposed to go back um, in May of this year as well. It's a hell of a flight. Huh? Yeah, it's it's weird. <laughs> it's weird when you just kind of like get off and you're like, well, I'm in a different part of the world now yeah. after 16 hours sitting on a flight. See, Not sure I, what I did for 16 hours, but I, don't know. I made it. I, I've, I've loved to visit Australia myself, yeah. but that the thought of those flights it's brutal. Uh, my sister wanted me to go to Turkey with her last month. Not that bad. My yeah. sister lives in Turkey. Really, get yeah. out. Yeah, uh, I mean, more. I would love to go to Turkey. I love that a whole idea, mm-hmm. and I bring back a bunch of weird stuff. Now we got another those trip markets. to make. I'd love Isla to do it. and Istanbul, <laughs> the eyes. Yeah. Um, but uh, the whole idea, especially dry, uh, flying over there with a mask, because I, I really hate yeah. masks. They, it really does feel like you have a diaper on your face. Um, <laughs> and brush your teeth, man. <laughs> it didn't smell like I have a diaper on my face. My one, all my masks are scented. So it's true. I, I don't know how you guys did that, but it was the first one I ever had was the Glencairn with a scent in it. I, yeah. yeah. It's scented just like Glen. It smells like a Glencairn glass. No, but it has like a minty scent to it, right? Oh, I probably, uh, I, I was, I, I was serious. Um, yeah, no, I, I, everyone... I was spraying uh, the mass uh, with. Uh, oh, you were doing that. Yeah, I was doing that because the. Uh, Makes sense. Uh, and plus, when I wash them, I always use a lavender mm. uh, disinfectant mm. soap. Because um, I'm thinking, I'm going to put this over my mug. Yeah. It better right. smell good. Because my beard is already scented. And I don't want to lose that. Well, Qantas has already said they aren't allowing travelers unless you have the vaccine. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah, that was Qantas. So I guess if, as long as you show a vaccine, you wouldn't have to wear a mask. Yeah, maybe. Proof of vaccine. Is Qantas still the only airline that has never crashed? I, yeah, I think I heard that one. That was in Rain Man, the movie yeah. Rain Man. He'd only fly yeah. at Qantas because it was the only airline that never crashed. But I don't know if that's still the case. That movie's a little like 35 years old, isn't it? Well, no, wait. That one? 90s? Probably 90s. Yeah. Tom, Tom 90s. Cruise was a little. Yeah. Did I ever tell you I met Tom Cruise? No. I know it's totally um, whiskey related, but I don't care. I was a. Uh, Have you I, listened to the show? <laughs> I was, yeah. I was a, whatchamacallit, a extra on The Color of Money, which oh. was shot here in Chicago. Really? Oh, well, uh, yeah. At the end of the um, movie, that it's supposed to be Atlantic City. It's actually Navy Pier, the Grand Ballroom. Oh, okay. And I was one of the 200 extras that they kept on moving around every time they changed the camera mm. angle. Yeah. They said, all right, everyone move over here. And so we'd get up, move over here, sit there. And were you there? 
uh, it was really cold. It was in winter. And uh, I remember leaving. I had such a sore throat. And they had a, couldn't talk for a couple of, uh, uh, about a week. But they, um, Paul Newman bought everyone a beer huh. at the end. But at lunch, uh, there was a couple of girls from uh, Columbia. I was in Columbia's theater school at the time. And uh, they were still out in the, what they called the pen which was, must have been horrible. These people were in a pen, basically, <laughs> literally a pen, and, you know, just waiting in case they needed them, and they never did. And none of us were getting paid. Mm-hmm. This was, you, oh, you got a coupon yeah. that gave you the right or the, you know, the wonderful experience. Anyways, I went out there and I said, hey, you guys want to see the set? So I snuck them onto the set. And we're walking out there and, you know, all the stars had their big campers on the outside of Navy Pier and I thought it's perfect let's go in but that started getting a little going where well to the to the, to the set oh, you know God. to the main set because they're all the way further back anyways we walk in and there's these curtains you walk in and say, there's the set yeah there's the pool tables Paul Newman was playing pool there Tom Cruise had a arm double because he really could, yeah a lot of the scenes where you had to make trick shots. Yeah. You had to have an arm double. Really? Yeah. Huh. Same sweater. Different oh, yeah. Guy. It was a, it's a famous pool player because he's left-handed, right? Who? Tom Cruise. Oh, I don't know. Because there's a left-handed pool player that had to do all of his stuff. I know Paul Newman did all his own shots. Boom. Because hmm. of the hustler? Yeah. yeah. He's uh, a good pool player. Uh, but then uh, I was so, uh, I was getting scared. I said, all right, girls, we should get <laughs> yeah. out of here. So I turned around and... As soon as I turn around, the curtains open up, and Tom Cruise's nose hits me right in the sternum. He was a little man. Did he go on a tirade? No. <laughs> You're not wearing a mask, Marty. <laughs> oh, my God, my nose. My nose. Why are you already buying curtains? No, he was actually very, uh, it was very hot. He, uh, I just said, oh, hey, Tom. He goes, yeah, hi. <laughs> he was walking with, uh, what's her name? Maria, no, what was her name? Mary Elizabeth. Mastriatanio, who was enormous. She was the co-star in the movie. Oh. And she must have high heels on, but she... Was she in The Godfather? No, she was in The Abyss. Uh, Oh. And she was in uh, Perfect Storm. Uh, Yeah. Her career was... Small. Brief. How was your movie career after that? (laughs) Not very good. I've... Some some video... I did one local film that didn't even go to... uh, uh, I don't even think it went to video. Is this while you were slinging uh, Booker's Old Fashions at Burton Place? Um, yeah, actually. Nice. No, well, the that, that the whole color of money thing was in the late 80s, but I didn't hit Burton Place until about 1990. Sorry to hear that. Why? I don't know. It was good times. That was, you know what would be really interesting? In fact, Jake, I was thinking about you and your whole Key in the Lake name and the book you were yeah. talking about. Uh, I would. I think it would be really fascinating to hear more about the history of bar life in Chicago. I d- totally agree with you. Um, like that book hits on it. Obviously, pre-prohibition. It's so interesting to read about the late 1800s, the 1900s, and then he kind of goes into post-prohibition as well. Because I think he wrote it after prohibition. It's kind of a memoir to the bars before prohibition. Oh, cool. um, but yeah, no one's really done that on a mass scale, especially. Yeah like the last 25 years, like you could start with like Delilah's from 26 years ago and then just go yeah. forward from there about whiskey and the progression of beer. Well, that was the other thing too. I was thinking in my mind, cause we do have Mike Miller coming on 
Wednesday yeah. or Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. And Mike, you know, Mike's bar been that here twenty seven years, but um, you know, it's at risk of going bye bye. Really? Yeah. Well, he's he's <sighs> taking out mortgages and doing One whatever of he so, can. So many. Right. right. I mean, and that you've had Laurie's, which has been around for th- almost 50 years, 51 right. years, mm-hmm. shuttered it at stores. So and I think of other places like Twin Anchors. I don't know if it's closed or not. Family owned. Frank Sinatra used to go there for mm-hmm. the ribs. Mm-hmm. And if you, you lose a place like like these, I mean, these these were the neighborhood joints. These yeah. were the places. The history. I mean, you think of Delilah surviving in Lincoln Park. Right as basically a punk bar that's what it was it was a motorcycle and then a punk bar mm-hmm. you know when it first started off Ooh, hi, oh there's a little friend look at those eyes <laughs> the dog has entered the podcast <laughs> oh, should hey, be barking here soon enough hey, yeah it, it, it was really interesting documenting oh. essentially oh. the last six weeks of fountainhead we recorded our podcast yeah. there all summer and fall and you know, every day you go, every time you go there, it'd be something a little bit less about the bar or something in preparation for it to close down. The mood of people, less bartenders, less staff each yeah. time as well. And then, you know, we recorded literally the last minute they were open with Aaron, which was great to have him come on to talk about it, but also very sad at the same time. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's ambivalent. It's another Chicago icon. Yeah. I mean, I've had people whiskey. text me like, hey, that famous whiskey bar, Fountainhead, closed in Chicago. That never even been there. Just knew about it from across the country. And I have there's another. I don't want to say anything out of turn, but there's a big whiskey group based from New York that helped out Delilah's a couple of weeks ago with a fundraiser. And the uh, founder of the club called me. He's like, "Hey, is Fountainhead going to come back at all? Like, how, what can we do to help raise money?" And he doesn't even have a chapter here or anything like that. Just guys wanting to reach out from New York and across the country wow. to help out a bar. So. Yeah, you know, I think you know. Aaron talked about how Fountainhead isn't dead forever, but it's right. definitely going to change and it'll but, be evolved into something else. But there's people from across the country that still want to help out these places. It's just hard when you know you don't know if you haven't lost your job at when it could happen to you at this point in time, or when your job could just shut down, be told to shut down by the government. Mm-hmm. You know what's happened to you guys? And again, all the all the money they put into that place, fixing it up, oh, they renovated, they yeah. they spent I don't know how much money building a really great yeah. rooftop. Bar. It was one of the better rooftop bars in Chicago. And then just to have this uh, extensive, very particular whiskey selection. I mean, mm-hmm. it's large, yeah. but, you know, they have they had their own barrel picks and everything else. Oh, yeah. And the same thing with Delilah's. I mean, Miller has made, you know, I, mean, I we'll go into this with him. I'm curious. I'm sure I've had this conversation with him in the past, but I don't think he started off to have a whiskey bar. Mm. I mean, he started in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I never asked him that. I was wondering <laughs> that too. Yeah. yeah, I think he just well, I think he just really loved whiskey, and he started building and building. And also, too, during the 90s, I was bartending. Whiskey was uh, was just a little, you know, group. Mm-hmm. Um, people were still drinking vodka martinis, mm-hmm. you know, straight up. Left and right. Yeah. A hold the vermouth. I go, okay, so you don't want a martini. In fact, it would be a martini with vodka anyway. So, but when you just ask me for chilled vodka, for God's sake, and watered down too, they always wanted it shaken. Um, but, uh, you know, all the, the places I used to think were so cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've, 
and it's just sad to see them go because they're the ones with character. Yeah, I walk by the Duke of Perth every day, and it's just sad to see it closed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no one in there, or they have limited hours of delivery for see, four Duke hours. Of Perth. It's one of been one of my favorite. It's one of those pubs where you go, and I. It's one of the I, first places you and I went when things opened up. It's it's one of the uh, places where I've made friends. Yeah, just sitting at the bar, um, talking about whiskey. It's a small, intimate bar. Sits about ten, ten people, maybe total. Yeah. Um, at the actual bar, yeah. Mike, uh, the other Mike Miller, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, has been behind that bar for forty years. No, thirty no. years. Thirty years. Ever since it, basically since nineteen ninety. So it's thir- wow. thirty years, right? Really? Yeah. So they basically built. I always joke they built the bar around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, it's it's just a great place. And it was really Chicago's first whiskey bar. Right. Even before Delilah's, there was. The Duke of Perth, mm-hmm. which featured Scotch mm-hmm. because yeah. it's a Scottish right. pub. Right. Yeah. Um, Aaron said he replicated Bar and Buena, basically, of what he learned over yeah. at Duke of Perth, and then mm-hmm. took that into Fountainhead. He even took one of the bartenders. Oh, really? You know, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike, that Mike Miller was really mad uh, <laughs> at Aaron. He thought he kind of stole him, but again, it's just a matter of oh, oh it's a bigger bar, you know. It's, right. I could have more shifts. That's really what it was. Um, but yeah, it's. I don't know. I just hate to see all this going, and the only bars that are going to be able to survive are going to be, I don't know, are there still Bennigans? You know, or, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, you just hate to, you hate to see TGIF become, become an olive garden, essentially. Right. That's yeah. your fear of all these big, all these spaces available, well, potentially available too. Who will move in there? Who will have the money to take over? And it's chains, which is a scary thought. And that's what it, that's what it seems like. I mean, I, I wonder, I, uh, as I was, Driving over here, yeah. um, I saw that the What's Starbucks is still open. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how many little mom and pop coffee shops are still open? Yeah. You know, my friends just started one up the street right bef- about six months before the pandemic happened. And, and then they closed down for two months because they wanted to be safe because it's really small. And they're like, then eventually you have to adapt. And they started an outdoor space. And another just kind of chugging right. along and getting by at this point. Well, that's a question too. And this goes to, you know, distilleries, you know, when I go to a distillery, you know, it's never like it's jam-packed. Mm-hmm. No. You know, you can... Certain you know. Saturdays, yeah, but, you know. And, you know, some of the some of the numbers they put on tours even seems, arbitrary, you know, just random. Yeah. Oh, 10. Yeah. Okay, so, but if we had 11, the 11th person would be infected? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So it's 10's okay, 11's bad. Right. Um it's okay to have a Home Depot open. Right. Uh, yeah. But you can't, you know, someone's mom and pop hardware store can't be open. Right. Right. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, it's challenging. Just because you think what there's more room in a Home Depot than there is in a... There's plenty of room in your restaurant. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, we, have a, we actually would have a great restaurant for this environment. It's very open. Um, I was there. I mean, yeah, you, it's, no one's near within you. Yeah, a lot feet. of spacing. It's a huge space. I mean, you know, this whole thing kind of, you know, you mentioned George Grant earlier in Glen Farkless. And, you know, we, we had a chance to go to go visit George in, in Scotland. And, and uh, you know, he kind of said, you know, obviously the distillery has been there. I guess there have been a distillery on site there since the 1700s, but I think his family's had it since like the 1830s or somewhere in that ballpark. And he said, you know, over the last, uh, what is that, almost 200 years, um, or 
yeah, 200, 200 years. 200 yeah. years yeah. Oh, it's hard, hard Close. to even believe. Close. Um, 190. Where he, he said the business, you know, he didn't really go into detail on, on what had occurred, but he said over that period of time that the, the, the business had almost gone bankrupt maybe a half a dozen times or so. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would believe that yeah. over the course of 200 years. Um, and, and these challenges that we're seeing now, I mean, these are part of the risk of opening a business. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think this one was pretty unforeseen. You know, that I don't think everyone was thinking, you know, pandemic's the next, the next thing unless, you know. Um, unless you're, you're Fauci, who apparently was predicting it a couple of years ago. And, and boom, here it is. And Bill Gates. Uh, and Bill, and Gates. Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah. There, those guys knew what was happening. Um, but for us, I think, you know, we opened Journeyman in, in, uh, on the tail end of the Great Recession in, in 2010. And, then, and now, you know, 10 years later, here's the pandemic. I, I shudder to think what's in our future here, but... <laughs> So far, we've dodged two bullets, and and you know, I think from an optimistic perspective, hopefully the businesses that do exist will continue to to yeah. thrive. And and if you can learn from this, that's that's great. And hopefully, guys like Mike and and Delilah's at these iconic places will find another way to kind of yeah. open their doors. Well, it's funny, you know, it's uh, Mike at Delilah's. Uh... Uh, once said, uh, or just recently said, not too long ago, uh, it's funny here. They thought they're in a depression-proof business. Yeah, you know, people always drink, mm-hmm. even during prohibition. Yeah, they yeah. drink. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's no way you're going to stop people from drinking, and yet now they've they found a way at least to shut down bars. Right. Which is just also horrible because you got people drinking at home. Right? Yeah, if you're right. drinking at home and you're drinking at home alone, yeah, um, and you're not Macaulay Culkin, yeah, uh, it's not good for you. It's good because he's only ten when that happens. Yes, he so, was. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, you're right though. It's a lot of there's a lot of health issues that go into this that are just basically being neglected that people aren't thinking about and the long long term effects of everything. Which I just don't understand. I mean. Uh, where's the brain trust coming up with some of these ideas? Why aren't they thinking about some of this stuff and why don't they just, I mean, it's not like it's been almost a year now, guys. Yeah. Yeah. You can't deviate. You're doing another lockdown. Yeah. Why not change this lockdown? Why make it more severe as opposed to looking at what you've already learned and isn't there this vaccine? But now they're saying, okay, there's a vaccine, but that doesn't, you yeah. still have to social distance. You still mm-hmm. have to wear a mask. Yeah. So, well, wait a minute. So what good is it? Got to keep people accountable, especially your elected officials. Dude, I all, all the people I voted for didn't win. No. <laughs> so, uh, Sorry to hear that. Fortunately, every, all those who did win are, uh, are the knuckleheads oh. doing this stuff. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, especially as you guys are going on your whiskey journey. Into, into a couple different areas. Yes, so. we're going. I uh, got to head up to Milwaukee and go visit uh, a couple of distilleries. Nice. One exists up. Uh, go see Great Lakes yeah. Guy Rehorst, yeah. but then go see a uh, Bill's gonna go check out a distillery that uh, he's gonna uh, consult with, and then uh, we're gonna go next day. We're gonna go see uh, Wallersheim. Cool. And Jay Henry. Nice. And then head south of the Cheddar Curtain to Galena and visit the Brothers Blum. Mm. 
go hang out with those boys and see their distillery and then they sleep in their sweatshirt every night i you know i oh i packed my flannel my blum brother's flannel nice. that i'm gonna wear tomorrow brush. yeah Good. i brought uh two one Don't for my teeth and one you can brush your beard with. <laughs> fantastic um, yeah i had a question for you though bill before we leave Uh-oh. um what would you recommend because you guys have survived i mean it's been tough but what would you recommend to smaller distilleries out there? Mm-hmm. I mean, what can they do? What what can they what what can they do to at least uh, alleviate some of the of the burden that all this is bringing? The down COVID them? burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I you know, I for us. Um, Honestly, it was about minimizing our expenses. Mm. I mean, initially, uh, when we first uh, got hit with some of these shutdowns, you know, just kind of get down to bare bones um, in terms of what our expenses were. And then, obviously, you know, the other side of that equation is is to try and drive revenue in, in any way that you can. For a lot of places, it was hand sanitizer. Um, that that was short lived. I mean, that was basically like a three week thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then uh, for us, we're trying to utilize the um, avenues such as this podcast uh, and, and other opportunities that, that don't cost you anything. And, and you know, social media comes oh, to mind. Oh, there's a fee, actually, to come oh, on. Oh, geez, yeah. Oh, let me grab my wallet, Marty. <laughs> I'll pay for two. There we go. Um, yeah. There's a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We actually call it the Glencairn fee. This is like a... Like a meal or something. I don't think there's any great solution, though, Marty. Um, I think what has to happen is that that the country has to reopen. Uh, We have to allow people to make a living. Uh, We have to allow people to go back to work. And um, I think at some point we have to realize that the solution um, is has been then has been worse Worse. than the virus, and and we need to, to move forward. And, and I hope that'll happen soon. It's good advice for everybody, too, really, yeah. for whatever career path you're in or just individually. You know, yeah. Minimizing your costs, figuring out how you can adapt yeah. next. So, yeah, it's a good way of saying it. Well, um, our producer is getting a little out of hand, obviously. She's <laughs> barking a little too much. Um, but, guys, thanks for coming on. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, thanks Jake. Jake. Yeah, yeah it's it great, great to have you. Marty, it's good seeing you. Always fun. Always fun. fun. And your hair is looking very long. Yeah, it looks nice. Oh. Yeah, really nice. Thanks. Well, uh, very curly. After your trip, it'll even be longer. We'll catch back then. Oh, about a little, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you in there, Marty? Am I in there? All right. That's awesome. Well, cheers, guys. All right. Thanks, Jake.